Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to Good Stuff. Yeah. Slaff Podcast. Got Richard Lusk over here, Ryan Bull over there. How are you today, sir? Howdy. Doing well. This is episode 210, and for 210, I think we're going to do a little bit of a different sort of format. In the first five or six minutes here, we're going to try to give you our baseline understandings of the movie that we're going to review, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute, and uh, <laughs> and then we're going to go right into spoiler territory, which kind of works for this movie because it's hard not to talk about without spoiling it. But Sound good to you? Yeah. This was a request of some of our bigger fans. I'm talking about the fat kids in my class. So what movie are we doing this week? So for episode 210, we decided we're going to do the movie everyone's talking about, A24's Hereditary. Come on, Peter. It's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. Hereditary stars Tony Collette as a young mother, Annie Graham, with uh, two young children and a older husband, Stephen. Uh, yeah, Steve Graham. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, Played so by the son. Gabriel Byrne. Oh, I got the son there. All right, so this, yeah, Gabriel Byrne of uh, Usual Suspects and Miller's Crossing. You might remember him. Tony Collette, probably remember from The Sixth Sense and uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And the, the child, one of the one of the children, the older child is, uh, I wrote down Stephen Graham, but I guess that's Peter Graham, isn't it? Yeah, I think his real name is, his name in the movie is Peter, but the uh, actor's name is Alex Wolf. And he played. Uh, Tarsum Sarnoff or Tol- Tolson Zarinev in uh, Patriot Game. He was one of those uh, Boston City bombers. Patriot Day. Patriots Day. Pa- Patriot Game is. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, something else. Uh yeah, that's that's uh, uh Jack ben Ryan. Affleck and Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yeah. Movie. Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah Harrison uh, Ford. Right. Yeah. Sorry about that. So also uh, stars newcomer Millie Shapiro as young Charlie Graham, who uh, in the marketing of the movie, she is front and center and sort of takes away uh, a lot of the, uh, I guess, interest in the movie. I guess in, in, if she was the, the marketing of the movie suggests that she's the the conduit she's for, the, yeah. for the audience or that she's the focus. So seems like this movie is going to be a weird child like Damien type Omen movie, right? Yeah, and, and it's playing on a lot of your expectations then because Tony Collette is also famous for being in The Sixth Sense. She's the mom in that movie. So right. she's already had to deal with some sort of odd child, I guess we should say, to be as vague as possible. Well, and Little Miss Sunshine. She deals with odd children there too. Yeah, true, true. She's typecast. Though I do think uh, Millie Shapiro in this is doing the same thing of like the not blinking there's just about no movement around the eyes and the the muscles there, so it does give her a very unsettling appearance. Yes, unsettling is a good word. Unsettling and unkempt. 
Uh, there, there are things, there are mannerisms that the girl has and uh, features that she has that make her seem uh, quite uh, disturbing in a way, um, which plays into the plot of the movie. And uh, she's a key element of the audience's tension early on, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. I like that a lot about the movie, uh, watching this character and seeing what she was doing. So I think she was well-directed by Ari. Aster, who also wrote the movie, and this is his uh, freshman debut movie. Does it seem like it to you? Uh, it's hard to tell. So many people, I think, start with horror films. Just it's it's easier to uh, get a budget to do it. I mean, people are willing to take a chance. This was a $10 million budget, so yeah, sure. I, I don't know where this guy goes from here. I don't really have a great sense of who he is as a director. It seems very accomplished, though. Very slick. Very. It does. It does. It's not rough around the edges. It's not like. Uh, I think after the movie, I described it as a combination of uh, Wes Anderson and uh, Stephen King and uh, Lars Van Trier. Yeah, Lars Van Trier, that kind of guy. But if you look at Wes Anderson's early stuff, like Bottle Rocket, it's just it doesn't hold up to some of the other things. There are some auteur elements. This guy seems to have auteur elements right away. Well, I mean, yeah, it's definitely in that auteur territory just because this is an R-rated horror movie. It is fairly brutal in parts. I mean, there's not a ton of gore, but it definitely earns its R rating with language and some violence. There's even a little bit of nudity, not very sexual nudity, but I mean, it does earn an R. I don't know who are stu- which of our students should go watch this movie. I mean, we both teach seniors and we teach sophomores. The the seniors I think could get away with watching this movie, maybe not the sophomores. Would All of the seniors, none of the sophomores. All sophomores. I, it's 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 hard to recommend a movie like this because as critics, I can understand why it's 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, but then you look at the audience score and it's like in the 50s. <laughs> and I think it had a D minus cinema score like isn't that the score that they take when people are like leaving the movie and they're reacting to it right away? Most movies that you pick up and go to are in the A, you know, A play. like a big blockbuster movie. If it's not a, if it's an A minus, I think Solo was an A minus, and it was considered a flop with the audiences. So this movie coming in a D plus sort of doesn't bode well for uh, the a mainstream audience. I mean, not to give away what happens in the film, but what type of headspace should you be in for this film? Because I, I definitely think I know. I don't know. I, I think it might. I've seen the marketing since the movie, so it, it might help to follow the marketing and just go in it like that. Oh. Because I don't think the marketing reveals as much as as I would normally think with a movie. You know, I, you know how I'm so like. You're not sure of what elements of those trailers are as important as they are in the movie as they are in the trailer. Right, I think that the yeah. movie is presenting a. Uh, uh, sorry, the the marketing and the trailers are presenting a different movie that's not necessarily uh worse i mean i i I don't think that they're trying to throw you with the marketing Mm -hmm. i think that they're highlighting certain things to uh gain your expectation or force your expectation into a certain direction yeah i mean this movie is definitely going to play on classic movies uh poltergeist psycho um what else would you say? Sixth Sense, knowing that. Right, it is movie. dealing with movie tropes. There are some things I don't really want to say about it because they are they do 
go into spoiler territory in terms of other movies I would compare it to. But Absolutely, but being aware of those things I don't think is a bad thing. I think also just the main idea of horror movies is also they take elements of everyday life and they turn them on their head. They turn them horrific. So, I mean, the movie starts off with the death of the grandmother and the family. So you're, you're the movie's exploring those ideas of guilt and um, parent-child relationships. Well, hence the title, Hereditary. Yeah. And the, the grandmother's name, Ellen, um, she looms large. According to this uh, from IMDb, when Ellen passes away, this is the plot synopsis, when Ellen passes away, her daughter's family, that would be Annie, played by Tony Collette, begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited. And that's pretty spoiler-free. But it also leads you in the direction that the movie's trying to put you into, and that's kind of the headspace. So I think that that's a pretty good start for... Uh, unless there's anything else you want to no, say before we dive right into spoilers? The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. So, spoiler episode? Now? Yeah, I guess spoiler laugh. All right. Where I think you got to start is this whole story is based on the play Iphigenia at Colonus, I believe, is the full play, but it's based on the myth of Iphigenia. All right. Isn't that the same one from. Uh... The earlier in the year. Yeah, the, I was going to say, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yorgos Lanthimos. That yeah. was the other director I was going to compare him to. Wes Anderson, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. So they're based on this, and basically it was Mendeleus or Agamemnon. Mendeleus, final answer. All right, Had Mendeleus. to kill his daughter so he could get wind to go fight in the Trojan War. And, and they even reference this in the movie, that fate is unescapable. Right. Do you think in this movie these characters are... Um, just going through the motions because their fate is unescapable. Hmm. Because, I mean, so often in horror movies, we go, oh, dumb teenager. You had the chance to run to the lights, but instead you're running into the dark, right. deep forest. You deserve to die. You're so stupid. I'm going to say the movie allows for free will to an extent, and it's at those places where you f where characters fail to choose correctly that they wound up being... Uh, they putting themselves in a position where the inevitable, you know, horrific circumstances come about. Interesting. Only because I can see the husband has a choice. There are times when Stephen makes a choice. The the son, mm -hmm. Stephen. Sorry, uh, the Peter. Peter. Uh, when he makes a choice, and uh, what 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 spot are you specifically talking about, with right. Peter? Since we're in spoilers. Okay, so we're in spoilers. They. He he decides to go up. He he decides to go upstairs and leave his his sister alone at the party. That's the key linchpin that that creates the situation where uh, the horrific circumstances come about. His decision to go upstairs because he's hot after some girl and smoke some weed is exactly what leads to the girl choosing, making a choice to eat the cake, and that causes her to have that hideous reaction the allergic reaction does he, she have the spirit of pyman in her though is she in control of her actions or is it pyman going oh look nutcake oh, i'm pyman as helen you mean uh, huh? or helen or ellen the mother the mother's no, no. ghost or whatever no pyman is in charlie <sighs> i don't know because i'll let you know the director says pyman is in charlie and this is all part of his master plan 
and that this is all unescapable. I see that's that's one of the problems I have with the movie itself because it it he could have done it a lot easier way. Pyman didn't have to go through all of these things if he's that powerful. He if he's powerful enough to put them in these in circumstances where the little girl's going to get her head decapitated and eventually the teenage son is going to become Pyman. I think that he could have he could have easily done that in a different way. I don't, I don't think he needed to take the circuitous route that he does. It's the route he kind of chooses, and uh, the director has even gone on record and said, yep, doesn't matter. E- even if the mother made a different decision, like she doesn't participate in the seance or whatever, Pyman still will win in the end. That th- This is unavoidable. Hmm. It, it kind of reminds me of when I would read those choose-your-own-adventure books. You know, right. turn to page 50 if you want to go left in the maze, turn to page 100 if you want to go to the right. Both ways you end up running into a monster and you die, so you have to back up even further in the book, earlier in the adventure. Like, sometimes they would just have these rabbit holes for you to go down and it was unescapable. You, so you don't think Aster could be potentially trolling people when he says that? I mean, because it seems like there's enough ambiguity in the movie to read it multiple ways. Well, they say, the Tony Collette's character says Grandma got her hooks in Charlie yeah, right away, and you know Charlie, you were always her favorite. Right. So uh, I I th- think it's very easy to believe that Hyman jumped into Charlie's body and just didn't like it there because she's a girl, and they're just waiting well, to I move think him the, to a male body. I think in the movie it says he had it had to be a male. He prefer no, it does say prefers. Oh, he well, prefers what did you do? Like go bodies. watch it again. Did you watch it again behind my back? No, I've been reading up on articles. I yeah, mean, yeah, the, if you are. I, I appreciate that the director is willing to go out there, and he is explaining a lot of stuff. There are some things he's not explaining, like the decapitations. But he says there is a very important reason why so many of these deaths have to be decapitations. Not just the horrific uh, factor, like the gore factor of it? or the. Well, I mean, he, do, he has also said the movie started out, the, the genesis of it started out with the idea of a girl getting her head knocked off via telephone pole okay. and a mom sawing through her neck. Okay. With okay. like basically a, a garrot. Yeah. But two things don't seem to be related. I guess they are related. Other the than the beheading, but yeah. And then the Wait, rest she, of the movie, he formed around those ideas. She, she saws her own head off out of guilt or through guilt. I don't know. Because if everything is predetermined and you have no free will, then there's no sense in feeling any guilt either. I agree. Or shame. I mean, then everything is. I mean, everything is predetermined. I, w- I don't know. Now I'm enjoying the movie a little less. But I mean, if it's based on a Greek play, the Greeks are very clear, right? That fate is unavoidable. You right. cannot run away from it. Well, that's every single Greek play, <laughs> that extant r- Greek play, mm-hmm. anyway. But wow. I mean, I okay. And this movie takes this idea and goes in a completely different direction than uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Right. Uh, a movie which I had less um, enthusiasm for than this movie. Although this movie, I did have some problems with uh, with the with the last third or so. Yes, we've argued about, we've yes. argued about this already. Where it goes <laughs> I don't all know why you have to do all the clucking. It doesn't mean. Yeah, it goes all Jeepers Creepers. It starts off Silence of the of the Lambs and turns into Jeepers Creepers, and that annoys me. And you you hate that that annoys me. You gave me a hard time. No, I, I don't mind that it annoys you. What annoys me is you're fighting the movie and where it wants to take you. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, just you got to go with it. Yeah, but... And, and if anything, that is the movie's strength, is that 
we were never able to guess where the movie was going next. Right. I love that about that. I love that about the movie, and that's why I would recommend it. I mean, I knew the kid was going to die in the car 10 seconds before she did. But there was also a part of me like, are they really going to do that? Well, yeah. And then even after that, you didn't know what would happen. Would she rise up like a ghost or, you know, where were they going to go with that? Mm -hmm. Like the decision that Peter makes to just go home and not say anything about it. Yeah. But until the next day, can't you see someone's just in shock? Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that that's an an invalid thing to do. But I do. I mean, there there should, should have been some sort of follow up after that with the I don't know maybe some social workers come in and talk to the family a little bit just don't send them right back to school yeah i don't know i don't know what the time frame is right after the accident i mean i know overnight he goes into the bed and then the next morning uh annie wakes up and says hey see you later i'm gonna go inside i'm going to town to get some modeling equipment yeah. so after that that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive but in some ways i like the decision peter makes there not to say anything? Yeah, why not let your parents get one more night of rest? I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that they're on a cruise like, somewhere where they can't. I never understood. They have those mats for your baby. So if they die of SIDS, it'll wake you up. Uh, you know, if they if they just stop breathing, mm-hmm. they die of SIDS. Who wants that to go wailing off like a smoke detector and wake you in the middle of the night? Is don't it you just... want one last night of sleep? And even worse, all my friends who've had those they have had false alarms three or four times. Huh. And they say it's the most terrifying thing in their life. Huh. Because you know what that sound is, and then now you're rushing to your supposedly dead child. So my question related to that is, does this movie do different things for different people based on their life experiences? The fact that neither of us have children? Right. Yeah, I don't think we're the target audience for this. So now a teenager, most teenagers that we know don't have children? They certainly don't have that sort of at least 10-year, 11-year connection. Uh, how old is the kid? 13, I think, in the movie. But yeah, the girl's 13. Peter's probably, what, junior, senior in right. high school, so 17-ish. Right. Can they relate to Peter? Can he be their conduit? Uh, Potentially, except I don't know if the movie ever sticks with one viewpoint long enough t- for you to care, one to care, one way or the other. Like, I don't think that there's a consistent surrogate for the audience whatever the audience is will 13 year old girls be into it because of charlie yeah it's hard no i don't think (laughs) you get behind charlie and then i mean she's definitely the janet lee psycho type since she dies in at the end of the first act really and you keep waiting for her to come back didn't you think at some point you were going to see her character well you see her in ghostly form or i guess is she there at the end is her corpse there at the end yeah at one point maybe she's in um peter's bedroom but it's hard to tell if that's a dream or not yeah yeah the scene where like also his arms are getting pulled mm-hmm. who's that is I that charlie's know. arms is it is it hyman yeah is it is it his mom is yeah. he sleeping you know we're not real sure in those moments right yeah i don't know uh i for me i, I kind of associated with steven the character played by gabriel byrne and the, the father figure because i think he's He's a poster boy for being an enabler or poster man for enabling. That's what this movie should have been called, The Enablers. Well, from <laughs> his of the Incredibles, The Enablers. Does he see anything that's not explainable? Like all the supernatural stuff that he witnesses really isn't that supernatural. Until he burst into flames. 
yeah, until that moment. But I mean, the seance bit, you could say, well, that's just parlor tricks of seance. And even when his mom starts talking, or his wife, sorry, starts talking in the, the voice of the child. Right. Her mom suffered from dis- disassociative disorder, right. so she could easily be doing the same thing. No. It's and his, people's voices will change radically when they're... It's his passis- passivity throughout that gets me. Like, it's not it's not that he's fooled or he's he doesn't understand necessarily what's going on. It's that when he does realize something's going on, he doesn't really do anything about it. Yeah. He just kind of takes... He just kind of takes a passive route no i get that but i don't think he thinks anything supernatural is going on his wife thinks it's all supernatural and the son thinks he's cursed right he knows there's supernatural yeah i guess we're arguing about two but but the son doesn't do anything because his teachers at school keep telling him ah fate's unavoidable so he just sits there in class and just waits to be killed oh i don't think he's listening to anything anyone says in class i think he's just thinking about you know, the fact that he murdered his, his well, about sister. Well, and Dowd's across the street yelling at him. All right, he, that's the second And he thing. looks around just like, are you talking to me? Right. He, he keeps right. looking like, oh, she must be yelling at someone else. Instead of just going, oh, crazy lady, I think I'm going to finish my lunch inside today. Yeah, well, that that's the other thing about this movie is that the Ann Dowd character that sort of brings it into a different direction. And it becomes, it goes from being a... a uh, family horror movie dealing with the, the horrific things that might happen which is kind of interesting to being this weird supernatural like edgy supernatural thing could go one way or it could go another way to go in full-on cult supernatural cult that is so and dowd's character is sort of the bridge for all of that and at the end of it i was i was just kind of annoyed and flabbergasted by her and where they decided to go with it because it could have been a culty thing that wasn't supernatural. I think we get a fair amount of cult movies that don't end up being supernatural. That's what I mean. That's where this movie could have gone. But if it, on occasion the cult's right, and you know the demon that they're praying to or whatever whatever deity they want, it's actually true. I mean, that was one of the things I like about the movie Take Shelter. You know, which is asking about if Doomsday's coming and someone you know foresees it, would we listen to them? Right. I mean, the movie has a somewhat ambiguous ending, but it, you can definitely argue <laughs> the insane person's right for once. Right, yeah, uh, uh, Moses. That, that was the right. same thing with uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Hmm. The guy who built a bomb shelter might have got it right this time. Yeah, I, except, well, okay. I, I don't want me, every time yeah. when, when we're in that territory, but if it happens just enough where I, I don't know what direction the movie's going to take. I like that. I, I think that this movie, that the decision to go that way made it less of an experience. And then I don't know how exactly we're supposed to take the ending because of the, of the way it's framed and the way it's set up. Like I know, okay, the uh, Pyman King Pyman or whatever, the, the demon eighth King of hell or whatever is now on earth and he's ruling on earth doing uh, maybe decapitating other things. But the cult is in that treehouse at the end, and the, as the camera pulls away from it, you see quite a few people that, that are in that treehouse that couldn't fit in that treehouse. Like, they couldn't fit in the physical space of that treehouse. And and a movie that has all of those um, limitations and trappings throughout seems to be suggesting at the end that this supernatural thing that can exist here doesn't exist anyway. 
So you're not even supposed to take the movie on its own terms. Oh, really? That's the way I saw it. Oh, see, I see it more as th- this is all a plaything for Pyman. And, you know, we get that whole motif with the dollhouse at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film and pushing in on there. That this is just, this is his toy. He's getting to play with these people. He's well, playing with he, them like they're dolls. So but why then, does he put himself in there? Don't you always put yourself in when you play with the doll? When you play with your dolls? No. You're not one of the characters? <laughs> you don't no. interact with Barbie and Ken? Uh-uh. No. But that does lead, it, it does beg the question who's manipulating the dolls all along. Like, because that's how the movie is set up, like a dollhouse. That the very first scene is, uh, it, it leads you, it leads right into the, uh, the very first shot of the movie is a transition to a, to a replica of the house that they're living in that becomes the house that they're living in seamlessly. And then for the rest of the time, I guess if you're saying that everything is controlled in terms of their fates, then there's someone manipulating. Yeah. This higher being Pyman. And that, right, that's where then, I thought you were going at the very beginning. You had said this sounded like Stephen King. Right. And his book, Under the Dome, plays around with that same idea. That That's where I thought you were going with that reference. Well, no, I'm just saying that there's... Well, it becomes meta-textual because the mother is at the same time making replicas of the of various things that are going on in their life. Mm-hmm. One time, rather funnily, making a replica of the decapitation scene. And then... Again, Steven's reaction to that is kind of threw me a little. He's like, oh, WTF, uh, don't let them, don't let the kids see that. And she, and she says something like, what? But it, not, it's ambiguous, but it's, um, it's an objective view of the events that go. have led yeah. to this, where we are now or something like that. It's an objective viewpoint. And I thought, <laughs> well, then that's when I was thinking in, in terms of the meta commentary, just moving away from it. Then there's someone outside manipulating these characters to do certain things and then it becomes like uh thus we're back to fate well no more like gia perandello's uh six characters in search of a of a play or something like that i think that's what it's called six characters in search of a, of okay. an act or something like that but the idea that these characters are being sort of forced into different areas and i, I don't know it just seems uh that's where the movie becomes less interesting to me <laughs> I, I don't know I mean, to me, that's where this, to me, it becomes Greek tragedy. And it just, it plays on those ideas. I I thought, like, the whole idea in the Iliad is that the gods are just playing chess with uh, humans in the war, in in the Trojan War. Yeah. They pop in and out later on in the Odyssey, and that's important. Yeah, but, But, okay, here, I I, I gotta give you a little something extra so that you can advance, so that you can keep entertaining me. And so you think Pyman at the end is, he's, he's on Earth, and now it's just raining all demon and damnation and hellfire i i don't know i mean that's the whole that that to me is the more interesting thing uh what happens 10 minutes later what happens to the other seven kings in hell yeah like who are the other ones <laughs> I, I i tried to look up some of the demonology uh, stuff and just it went over my head huh. way too quickly it's, it's very dense and very dark and sinister and all right so this movie was put out by a24 mm-hmm. it's there top grossing movie of all time i think there was a movie a couple of years ago called the the vich that has a similar it's a similar family drama that uh ends and i don't want to spoil the vich but it, it has uh supernatural elements in it as well do you think that this movie and that movie exist in the same universe <laughs> like was the vich a prequel Ooh. 
and then is Ann Dowd's character like the like the, the in terms of genealogy like leading through and hereditary like going all the way back to 1604 1624 whenever they were is it possible no no i i could see that yeah because that'd be i mean the, the movies from two separate artists right right i'm just i'm but, just thinking it, yeah it's it's kind of they're, they're playing with a lot of the same tropes it's compelling to consider then what the the third if it were a trilogy what the third movie would be where it would be set like 2200 on, on mars dealing yeah. with fate and <laughs> okay yeah yeah there was an article in the uh, paper that said that humans are going to be able to live on mars very easily yeah i don't see that did you read it uh maybe in a hundred years who knows yeah that's what i mean well if king pyman gets involved he can do it so where's this rank on your board so far we're what in the sixth month of the year you've seen a couple dozen films this is up there i mean if right now we had to do our top five list i mean at this point in the year we've done top fives before right would this be in your top five uh it's hard to say because i can't really remember what i've seen i haven't seen very many movies this year I'd say it's two thirds of a ten. Two thirds, so it's around six or seven. Okay. Only because after the this the last third didn't do anything for me. It'll be interesting to see what you think of this movie at the end of the year. Could, yeah, it, it might. It and might if actually you stumble grow on it on HBO and rewatch the end. Could it grow in your estimation? I don't know if it would work as well outside of the theater experience, but I, I make that argument about every movie. There are some sound things that happen in the movie that are kind of important. I have to admit, I must. My reaction to the things that were going on in the movie probably caused other people in the theater to have less of an experience that they would have had if they had seen it with a different group or a different, a person that wasn't prone to laughter at awkward and weird times, as opposed to gasps. Yeah, I think that I. I don't know if it's the fault of the director or the. Or my my problems, my whatever psychology I have going on, I saw most of it as dark humor, and I just, I mean, I laughed, and there were sometimes when I couldn't stop laughing, and even, I mean, the absurdity of it was what, what led me to great bits of, of laughter. I don't want to say I wasn't falling on the floor or anything. Most of it was like WTF moments, and just, oh my God, just how absurd is that? Not, I wasn't laughing at the movie. But I was laughing at the circumstances within the movie and then the how how it was presented well, to me. Well, it is so dark and so brutal with the things Tony Collette says to her child <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, you do gasp in shock. Uh, I mean, I, I understand where you're going with it because, I mean, there were a couple times I kind of laughed. <laughs> I mean, it's the same reason why people watch TMZ videos and, you know, watch people Schadenfreude. Go, yeah, they, they, they watch people do horrible things. I don't know. I mean, I, it definitely made it a better movie for me <laughs> because I was laughing at things that would happen and I, where other people, I think, would... I, I never felt the audience scared. turn against you. Well, there weren't that many people there. And I was trying to keep it reeled in. I mean, I wasn't like, ha! And I wasn't laughing at the movie, so I guess, I, I mean, my, my actions were not... My reactions were natural. I, it wasn't yeah. forced or anything. I couldn't help it. <laughs> When she told the kid that she didn't want to have anything to do with him, she wanted she woke up or he woke up and he was doused in paint in her. I don't okay. know something about that made me laugh. Oh, she says that, or or when she says, "I I, I tried to kill you," he's like, "How?" 
I tried to have a miscarriage. How? Yeah. And he just kept coming she, back with She kept how? going down. And he got sweatier and sweatier until <sighs> you realize, oh, now, now they're both covered in lighter fluid again, and it's all a dream. But some of his reactions to the situation, it was so over the top. When she's uh, talking like Charlie in the seance scene, mm-hmm. and he's like, Mommy, stop. Oh, yeah, Mommy, yeah. Mommy. As soon as he started calling her mommy, I, I couldn't take him seriously. It's good that they put that there, though, just because of how it ended when he was all mommy, mommy. Because when he was all mommy, mommy at the end, that was that was kind of annoying, too. But at least they set it up. I mean, they did a pretty good job in terms of putting together a screenplay that until the huge exposition dump at the end where Ann Dowd's character comes in and does a voiceover. Which, I, if they had left that off, I would have liked that, too. I would have liked to have been like reading the movie for myself and going what the crap is going on here this is so crazy but I yeah think i think then you really bit. really alienate audiences <sighs> but you liked um there was a movie earlier this year um not evolution it had Natalie annihilation Portman. annihilation yeah, yeah. yeah and that's a movie that could for me it could have used natalie portman doing a little adr a little voiceover at the end to explain everything and tie it together just a little bit yeah, I that had a lot of stuff with sound too. Mm-hmm. I think those it. are very similar films. Yeah, I, I I'd have to go back. Annihilation might be. I don't know why I like that movie. That I know makes why two of us. I know why everybody hate. I mean, people that don't like it, I know why they hate it. But like my dad hated it. He said it was a one. Your dad is a man of taste, <laughs> and I was like, it's a pretty good movie. I kind of enjoy it. Annihilation might be. I, I don't know. These these two those two movies are neck and neck. Maybe Annihilation is the uh, third in the trilogy. It's not an A twenty four movie though. Yeah, no, it, it is interesting. All right, so that is our review of Hereditary. I'm saying go see the first two thirds, then just walk out, then just walk out when you realize it's gone jeepers creepers on you. you just <laughs> say, uh, I don't need to see any of this crap. Either. I say watch the whole thing. All right, very good. So. Uh, do we have, uh, no, we have any update? I think the people want to know. I don't have the numbers here in front of me. Uh, your solo movie did tank. And your, uh, Ocean's 8 did fairly well. Yeah, it's up to 52 million as we record this episode. And that, that'll be 10 days. No, that's 8 days. And so you still have the weekend. Yeah, I still got it. I think I made 110 with, uh, solo over yeah. 10 days. It's pretty horrible. Well, the big thing is, how much does your uh, comedy compare to my comedy? Because I'm Asians. thinking Ocean's 8 is going to end up around 75, 80 million yeah. for a 10 day run. 72, I'm saying. But go on. Okay. My wife, when we watched Ocean's 8 last night, because, you know, we've got to add 20 bucks to the kitty. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she saw the trailer for Crazy Rich Asians. I went, Are you interested? She goes, No. Huh. Why? Huh. I said, wow. Did you read the book? She goes, No. Why? Okay. Well, your wife is a woman of no taste. She married you. But, I mean, normally, I mean, she kind of goes for the chick flicks. The last two movies we saw together are the Amy Schumer film, right. I Feel Pretty, and then uh, Ocean's 8. And you're not going to go see Crazy Rich Asians? She has no desire. Right. It's too bad. So. I'll be going to see it. Maybe I'll have to see it three times now <laughs> to make up for those for that money. No, I don't know if I'm going to see that or not. It depends on how close we are on a box office challenge. So next film review of Jurassic World? Oh my god, no. No. But I hope it does well. You should go see it in the box office. (laughs) Now I I hear bad things about Jurassic World Part 2. Maybe Incredibles 2? Nope. Well, I don't want to see that either. Wow. Uh, First Purge. 
Probably not. There's got to be something that's coming right, we'll out on Amazon. We'll see you guys in November when <laughs> we start be... getting some award-winning films. <laughs> no, there are some things. Actually, another movie, I don't know if it's going to release around here or not, but um, it falls in line with this hereditary thing. of uh, It's called Perfect Perfect Strangers or something like that. Not the, not the bulky television show. Identical Strangers. That's it. It's a documentary about these uh, triplets. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. In the seventies, and uh, they randomly met each other, or I think two of them. They, they like both went to this. They were separated at birth, and then they all wound up in the same place at the same time. And the twists and turns in that uh, make it seem like it's going to be the documentary of the year for me, just based on the trailer. And it said because of my interest in Hereditary, you should check out this movie. No, not really. I just saw a trailer for it, which is odd because I don't normally watch trailers. Yeah, no, that that does look interesting. But uh, I'm sure that we'll find something to watch in the Probably, next couple at least of weeks. Sicario Two. I bet we'll review and we'll figure yes, out some stuff. Sicario Two. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if our viewers have suggestions for what we should review, what could they do? They should probably visit us at the lab podcast at gmail dot com or over there on the Facebook. Right? Well, they could They're email us at thelabpodcast right. at gmail.com. It can go to the Facebook slash thelabpodcast, or uh, it can hit us up on Twitter at thelabpodcast. We are on all of those. Uh, we don't have an Instagram, though. No, we, we, we don't have Instagram. Instagram so yet. we're not really in tune with the, with the kids. No, we so, don't have But our... if you're an adult and you're out there, you have something you want us to watch and review, let us know. Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining me, uh, Richard. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Appreciate it. Uh, there be dragons. Pox that bonum, everybody. This is going to be a pun-heavy show. Yeah. All right. Well, it's because of the subject matter, Mr. Bull. You ready? Yeah. Is it, are the levels all good, do you think? <laughs>